covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Got to be honest with you. There's not a whole lot going on right now. Things are quiet. We knew at some point in time the offseason was going to get very, very, very quiet. And it certainly is that way right now. And it might continue to be that way for a while. We will have to wait and see. There's been a little bit of activity across Major League Baseball, but not a whole lot. So I'm going to tell you what we're doing this week. Uh, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball, he is coming on. He's uh, he's one of my favorite people to be able to uh, talk to on the podcast. We get him on a lot. And you never really know which direction our conversations are going to go. I think they're fun. He's, he's a great resource of information when there's a lot of stuff going on, but also a, uh, a very fun conversation when there's not a lot of stuff going on. So we will uh, we'll have Brad on coming up in uh, just a moment or so. As always, if you do want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can subscribe and leave a ranking and review, that would be awesome. All right. With no further ado, let's get to it. This week's uh, featured conversation with Brad Ford. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is that time we're once again bringing on somebody who is a uh, very frequent visitor of the podcast. He is Brad Ford. You can read him at uh, Brew Crew Ball. You can uh, hear him on the Milwaukee Tailgate podcast. I think I gave the Twitter account at Brew Crew Blue. Maybe I didn't. We actually, behind the curtain, we started this once. It didn't work technically, and we've restarted, and I can't remember what I've said in the last 20 seconds. Hi, Brad. Why, hello, Matt. <laughs> I forgive you for not recalling. It's It's been a little uh, interesting so far today, but it just means I get to spend more time with my friend Matt. You know what? You know, we've we're both trying new things technologically, and yours worked and mine didn't. Yeah, which actually the last two times I tried something new and mine failed. So you were due. I was due. I was due for failure. That that would be a good band name. Due for failure. Oh, maybe. Are you ready? We can hit the road. Well, not hit the road. Hit the uh, airwaves and really start something. Just do Zoom. You get on the accordion, and I'll get on the bass. Do Zoom concerts all the time, right? Yeah. Zoom. There's actually a few uh, bands that I really like who've been doing live performances that they record and put on YouTube or on Zoom. And it's actually been a really enjoyable thing so far, especially because I'm not a concert person. I used to be, but now I'm over being in the front row, which is the only place to be if you go to a concert, and drenched in other people's sweat. I'm just not about that life anymore. I'm too old for it. If I fall down, I probably won't get back up. The crowd will stomp all over me. I feel so. I, I feel really bad for musicians, and I know they make good money, but at the same time, like the music industry, the the record industry has has not exactly treated musicians well in terms of them making money off album sales and now I assume streaming their songs where the way they made money was the concert tours and that's not going on right now and again they're, they're fine but I 
it's I, I feel bad for I, I feel bad for anybody who's not doing as well right now as they would normally be doing and maybe it's weird that I specifically point out a group of people that generally do pretty well for themselves but it's just uh, I, I while we're talking about it I feel bad for for musicians because they are not getting the opportunity to probably make the money that they deserve to make based off people listening to their music right now right well if you're not in that a or s tier of musician, you don't make the giant contract just from existing with a label. It's all concert selling out concert tours and selling a ton of merchandise. That's where the big money comes in. Yeah. But it's not there. It is not, and hopefully it will be again in the relatively near future, and hopefully people will be able to attend baseball games and sporting. It really is odd, and I don't want to spend all – we've done a lot of COVID stuff on this podcast, and I just I, – I think like people probably listening, I, I'm sick of talking about it, but – this week, it, it almost there were some very um, at times it reminded me of March, like when when the Broncos don't have a single quarterback and when football games are just being canceled right and left. You know, like the Ravens were going to play Thursday and then they're going to play Sunday and then they're going to play Tuesday. There's just all these things happening and it's almost like you can't keep up. In a way, it kind of feels like the way it felt back in March, where every hour it was a it was something new. It was such a fluid situation. And for me, that's a that's a little alarming right now, especially when you consider the fact that we're not really that far away from spring training yeah it really is just a little ways away and even now like not a normal year we'd be into we're getting into the winter meetings it, it does make me concerned for the progress that we're going to make when things are moving at the pace that it's going to make or that it's going at right now because i mean even some of the best and most in-tune people in the sports industry in terms of getting that information out to the public, be it reporters, be it uh, people who just share a lot on social media and have big mouths, they, they really don't seem to have a lot at their, at their fingertips to put out there. No, no. And it's, um, it, it's just a weird offseason. And I, look, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, and I am, I am believing that these vaccines are going to be as, in, as effective as they are being told that they're going to be, and I, and I believe in these companies that they're going to be able to mass produce them, but even mass producing them, it is still quite the timeline for our country to be mostly vaccinated. And it's going to, you know, they baseball set up for fans in the stands when they ran the NLCS and, and the World Series with limited fans. I just wonder if, if wintertime is going to be as tough as some people say it's going to be. When the baseball season is actually starting, you're just coming out of the wintertime. I don't think anybody really has much of an idea of if there's actually going to be fans in the stands to start the season next year. It's interesting, although I keep getting the sense that people have kind of just stopped caring uh, in a general sense. You look at... I mean, the Broncos are playing without a quarterback. Yeah. If when this first started in basketball and baseball, I mean, basketball did it a lot better, and they have a little bit more flexibility with that. But uh, when baseball was just getting underway, if you had that type of outbreak on a baseball team, it shuts you down for a week or two weeks. Now they just keep playing, despite the exposure, despite that we've seen people who teams where they have a test. And they're like, oh, let's play anyways. And then they have another test on game day and the test comes back positive after the game is already finished. 
and they're exposing each other to this despite that. And then we're having large groups of exposure that ends up taking out entire personnel groups. It it just seems like everyone has reached the point of, eh, screw it, let's just play through it. And I think that they're going to, now that there's an opportunity to capitalize off that, I think baseball teams and stadiums and are going to be more open to the idea of trying to make a profit after already losing out on a year, even if it's only a minimal one of filling it up to 30% capacity. It's yeah. really getting to feel like they're just going to do it because they want the money at this point, and they already lost out on that revenue for a whole season. Yeah, that's so let's let's kind of bring this to like how this is actually impacting things because I I think part of the reason I think a major part of the reason for the slow movement that we're going to see in this offseason is the question marks about revenue next year. And there's going to be some that are going to argue that this is more a reaction to the reduced revenue this past season. So we could have a vaccine in every single American tomorrow with 100% capacity guaranteed for this upcoming season, and it wouldn't actually change this offseason that much because the the offseason is reacting to this past year. It's not looking forward to what's going to happen. I would actually disagree with that. I think, I think if ownership in baseball had more of a clear indication on what kind of revenue would be coming in this year, all of a sudden things would start moving around a little bit. So that's that's the tough thing in all this because we're not going to have an answer for a, a really long time on what it's actually going to look like next year. And so for me, outside of a couple teams that maybe seem kind of willing to spend money, it just feels like this thing is really going to move slow this year. Yeah. I, I agree. I think for as impatient as we were in 2018 and 2019, I think it might even move more slow than that. But then this off season's already been weird at the same time, right? Like you're having people who won't claim Brad hand at $10 million. Yeah. Who was one of the best relievers in baseball last season. Then you have people signing drew smiley to an $11 million deal. Uh, Robbie Ray to an $8 million deal. Where those were the guys I was expecting pretty low contracts at like $6 million for Smiley, who's coming off a decent season, but who has shown a propensity to get injured. And Robbie Ray, who's had two really bad last seasons. I know the Blue Jays invested to get that trade and want to try to capitalize off of it, but you're already spending money that we're already seeing GMs and owners say they don't have, right? The Brewers are saying they're going to add, but the same because they have to add, they don't have the roster to enter the season with right now. But at the same time, they're saying we need to be very conscious of how we spend our money because of the impact that a lack of revenue had. And we know, like, we can debate what the profit margins were, if there was profit and all that. But we know, without a doubt, revenue is down because there are no fans, because there are no concessions, there are no T-shirts being sold. There's there's none of that. So. We already see all the posturing of the team setting up for it to be a slow offseason. I think it's going to continue being extremely strange, though. I think you're going to see teams pay guys high amounts for maybe fringe players they are pretty sure can have a positive impact on their team just to make sure they get them. But at the same time, you're going to see guys who you expect to get multi-year deals get kind of crappy contracts. It's going to be odd. I would not take a multi-year deal if I was a free agent, unless I'm like 38 years old and there's no guarantee that I'm 
that that I'm going to play my age 39 season. If I'm a if I'm in my prime or just before, or just after, I'm getting as much as I can on a one year deal, and I'll try this again next year. I also, uh, who was it this past week? Uh, former pirate who signed uh, internationally. Uh, I can't remember. Um, I only remember the former brewer who signed internationally in Cy Sneed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Uh, but I do feel like there there's a legit possibility that those those second tier kind of guys might be able to make like significantly more money if they go play uh, in Japan or they head to Korea, and, and more more importantly, they get some they get they get some plans figured out like they're not sitting there in late february march hoping that their agent gets a call from a major league team you you just if if this year is just going to be a year where you want to just make as much as you can and you want to have a guarantee that you have a job signing internationally i think makes a lot of sense for uh, for some of these kind of second tier type players considering i also expect that scramble to be kind of the norm right now where people are going to play in whatever situation puts them in the situ or place to make the most money even if that's going to korea or japan for a season weren't you surprised to see the qualifying offer declined by as many players as who set it down yeah i mean i mean there weren't as many qualifying offers as we might normally get but wouldn't you take that nearly 20 million guaranteed even if you deserve more which almost all of them did, except for Kevin Gosman, what is happening. But everyone else deserves more. And then you're still turning it down, which was really interesting to me. So let's go. I'll, I'll go. I'm looking at the list right now. Trevor Bauer absolutely sh- should reject it, right? In this offseason? I don't know. Is he going to get? I mean, he should get, what, 25 to 30 million. He was the Cy Young. He was the best pitcher. And he should get a he should be one of the few people who can actually get a multi year deal, and teams should be willing to pay him. Yes, yes, all of that. Okay, but will will they work together and not pay him? Possibly. It, but if anyone's going to make that gamble, he's probably the best one to make. It. Yeah, I'm gonna disagree with you. You know, I like you, but I'm gonna disagree with you because if I'm if I'm Trevor Bauer, I turn it down. If I'm DJ Lemayhew, I turn it down because I he he's right at his at his age being 32, he's right there. We're probably getting a multi-year deal is more important than the annual average value. JT Ramuto is arguably the, the, the top available free agent this off season, especially from a, a position player standpoint. Um, so the, those guys I would be with in terms of, of rejecting it. Uh, was George Springer on that? George Springer was on that list, I believe. And, uh, if I was George Springer, I probably would have accepted it. He's the one guy who did not accept it that I would have accepted on, if I have that right. I think if I'm LeMahieu, I accept it because even though I'm coming off one of my best seasons for the Yankees, I've had uh, much more productive seasons. I, Based on how things have gone and teams' refusal to play pay, players in his age group, I don't know if he's getting a multi-year deal. In tw- about twenty million, I mean, what is it? Eighteen, just over eighteen and a half million, I think, is the qualifying offer. Yeah, the eighteen point nine. I think that's a good assured payday heading into an offseason. We really don't know what's going on. I think he uh, signs Jake- like a three-year, forty-five million dollar deal, so he's going to get a little bit less than what he would have made, but he's going to have some stability. That's my prediction for DJ Lemayhew: three years, fifteen million. 
I don't know. I don't know if he's going to do it. When we're looking at a couple seasons ago, even Yasmani Grandal not getting paid. And now owners have a better, owners and GMs have a better leg to stand on in terms of not playing payers. I mean, look at the trouble Yasmani Grandal had getting a multi-year deal two seasons ago. Now JT Rule Moto is going to go out and try the same thing. Grand- is it going to work? Grandal also wanted to set the market for catchers. So he signed a one-year, $18.5 million deal. He was at the moment where he had gone too deep and there was no turning back, so he had to kind of go with what was there. But when he when he hit free agency, the idea was to set the market, and what do you know, a year later he set the market. If you're JT Real Moto, aren't you looking at that, though, and saying, uh, yeah. like, oh, crap, I can get the same amount guaranteed. It doesn't look like he's necessarily enjoyed playing in Philadelphia, so I wonder how much that has played into it. Also think about his position. When a catcher goes, a catcher goes fast. Yeah. But I'd still take $20 million, nearly $20 million guaranteed. Yeah, I just... And again, you know, the agents are involved in this too. They're, they're, they've got... Because it, it, it means more for the agents to have those multi-year deals than it does the one-year payday. I think that has to play into it as well. You know, these guys are going to trust their agents and are probably going to look to them for advice. Yeah. I'm not saying anyone who declined it is stupid. I'm just trying to say I'm more surprised about it. Like, even Marcus Stroman, coming off a year off, it's basically an injury year. You know, you opted out of the season, and then the Mets were still willing to pay you nearly $19 million. Yeah, he made the right decision, and it seems like that's going to be a much better situation in New York with the uh, with the with the new ownership. I will say this as well: it has become a very normal thing. I'm, the the one guy who really jumps out to me right now is uh, is Greg Holland, but I know it's happened a handful of times in the last two years where a player has rejected the qualifying offer and has ended up signing a contract for one year at a less value than what the what the qualifying offer would be. So there have been some guys out there with that decision who have left significant money on the table. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think Real Muto is probably a combination of, I think I can make this much and I want to play somewhere else. Probably. Probably. Uh, I want to do a quick, last time we had you on, we really had you on to talk about the uh, the expected minor league realignment. And this past week, I don't know if it was McAlvey or some one of the one of the Brewers writers had, had mentioned this. I think it was Hodricourt. That as we continue to learn more and more information, like for a while there, we were all trying to figure out how in the world are the Brewers going to have their two single A clubs. Uh, when the Midwest League teams are expected to go up to high A and the organization already owns Carolina, well, now it came out this past week that it looks like it's going to be just a a switch where now Wisconsin will be the high A team and and Carolina will be the low A team. That's a benefit for this organization because clearly they do not want to lose their affiliation uh, with the Timber Rattlers. So now it looks like they are going to be able to hold on to uh, each of those affiliates. Yes, that was a good development. Uh, I've really enjoyed the relationship with the Timber Rattlers so far, and I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of fans. And I think actually having high A might be even a little bit better because you're seeing guys, I think we both agree that's like one of the first big tests in a player's development 
high A is when you finally start seeing guys who all deserve to be advancing up the ladder or just sometimes a collegiate player who's naturally advanced enough to start there. So you'll see better talent, better, slightly higher quality of games because of it. So when you see a player at high A, I think it's going to be more rewarding in terms of guys that you could follow up the system and you'll have a better idea of who's going to have success as they travel through the Brewers. And it's just a very nice relationship to have a minor league team a couple hours up the road for even to connect fans on the northern part of the state back to Milwaukee. Let me ask you this. Um, hi, totally hypothetical. If if that would have been the way it was, say, uh, a couple years ago, the la- in the last minor league season, uh, when they had Ethan Small pitching every Friday night that the Timber Rattlers played at home. If if that scenario played out again and the Timber Rattlers were the high A team and Carolina was the low A team, do you think they would have had him still pitching uh, in, in Wisconsin just because it was the home games and it was close to Milwaukee? Or do you think they would have had him in Carolina? Hmm. That's a good question, isn't it? I'm, it's a very good question because... It, it's nice to have your top draft pick that easily accessible, but at the same time, you're just trying to get him repetitions without necessarily developing or changing too much about his process. But so you he never pitched on the road. Repetitions, a couple innings. He ne- if I remember correctly, he never pitched on the road. He only pitched in their home games, right? Yep, a couple Fridays to end the season. I mean, I think it's probably very likely. Yeah, uh, they just put them in Wisconsin for proximity purposes. Yep, I think so. So that that can actually help in development because in in that situation and look, the, there are what we're talking about with Ethan Small. We're talking in about an advanced college pitcher who's who's ready to uh, progress through the system pretty darn quickly. There are very few of the type of circumstances that I just laid out, but in that exact circumstance, when you're talking about a high level prospect. The, the scenario I just laid out can actually maybe push development a little bit quicker. I think in a, uh, in a normal season that there's a chance he's pitching for the Brewers in September. Okay. Because of his advancement, just to give people a picture of kind of where he was. And I don't know if he's as impacted by throwing, what was it? Six combined innings or four combined innings at Wisconsin. If doing that at high A, as I think Corey Ray might have been impacted by going to some truly tough competition for himself at high A. I've wondered for a while how that affected his development going straight to Carolina. And if the Brewers regret that at all and are going to avoid that decision with other players, which is why it took me a bit to answer your question more than anything else, because I think there's a level of gun shyness that happens to an organization when they go into that that step and have a, a big failure with a big draft prospect. I wonder if they think at, I think it's more related to talent and ability than them challenging them a little too much, but it'd be interesting to see in the organization if that has created any fears about starting a, a high draft pick off at a tougher level than prospects normally start out at. Yeah. And the other, the other small thing here, um, so I can remember, you know, I, 
I worked low A. I was working in the Midwest League, and I worked in the Royals organization when I was at, in the Midwest League. And I can remember there were guys who would start the season in the Midwest League because the organization wanted them participating in actual games, and they, they didn't want them at extended spring training. And once short season would start, they would actually go down. The plan was always to send them down. They were just, for whatever reason, they didn't want these guys at extended well, now there's not really going to be a place to go down. That That's not going to exist now. And I, I just have to wonder how that actually impacts the overall talent level. There's also going to be less guys in organizations. There's just going to be less minor league players. So maybe a, a prospect that they would leave at extended for a little while because of cold weather or for whatever other reason, maybe that person is actually starting the season. I just It's not going to be a huge deal, and I'm probably getting into the weeds a little bit, but I do feel like at least at high A and low A, we are going to see talent level look a little bit different in this new system. Yes, I could see that, and I thought about that. It is incredibly difficult to play in that cold weather, especially we know snow even though it's only a couple hours away, that does change quite a bit. I have in-laws up in that region. And, you know, when we're enjoying our first 50, 60 degree day, they'll send us pictures of their 18th snowstorm yeah. they've gotten that week. Yep. It, it can be inc- vastly different and it hampers development and ability to play. It really affects everything, especially when you're looking at pitchers who really struggle with gripping the ball. But when you're a batter too, it, it hurts more to swing that bat. But the team might also view it as, hey, we're a cold weather team in April. We're going to be playing in Chicago. We're going to be playing uh, other regional games at colder weather stadiums. So it's a good opportunity for people we believe will come to the major league level to adjust to that type of atmosphere. Obviously, Miller Park has a level of control to it, but there is no control when you're playing at visiting stadiums. So get used to it, deal with it. And it's a good development opportunity in a different way for you in learning how to develop or get yourself ready in different weather conditions. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, they, they, in the grand scheme of things, you play so few really super cold weather games. To me, that's one of those things where it's just like, deal with it. We're, we're, we don't need to train <laughs> yeah. for that. Like, just deal with it. it it's, I, yeah. It's always funny to see the players too, like the Wisconsin players, especially you see, and I'm sure you experienced this when you were at Colorado. I know Colorado isn't quite as uh, snowy as everyone likes to think it is because it's so exposed to sunlight. So when you get a snow, it just melts right away. Right. But, you know, watching people uh, are watching games where there's snow pushed off to the side and the players are in hoodies with what looks like two layers of gloves on over their batting gloves or under their batting gloves. And they're all wearing face masks. It's pretty funny to see that. And I get it. it I mean, baseball just doesn't move you as much as all the other sports, right? Yeah. It, you're, you're not like constantly sprinting like you are in football to keep your body warm. You only move when you have to. And unless you're a pitcher, it really isn't all that much. It, it got there were some cold games, but I'll say they never had the super cold games. And, and this is why I don't know if I've ever told you this. And this is ridiculous that this is true. When they built that stadium, they did not insulate the pipes. So the, <laughs> the pipes are exposed. And therefore, once the temperature gets down, I don't know what it was, if it was 28, 27, it doesn't have to be right at freezing, but once it gets to a point where 
the the water can start freezing inside of the pipes they have to pull the water and they have to turn the water off inside of the ballpark so obviously you can't have games in that situation so even if there wasn't snow once it got to a point that it was too cold they could not have games because the pipes weren't insulated there was actually a time or two if i remember correctly i hope i'm not speaking out of turn here i think i remember this happening where it unexpectedly got really cold in the middle of the game and they had to pull the pipes in the middle of the game, turn off the water, where teams got back into their clubhouses afterwards and the water was not functioning and they had to get to their hotels to take showers and things like that. Imagine building a cold-weather stadium (laughs) (laughs) without ever considering, like, man, it might be cold when they need that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Screw it. But, I mean, that's minor league stadiums for... They cut corners and the... Uh, sometimes it can have repercussions I don't think they realize are very real when they're dealing with it, which is probably why it was great to have them be a short season team for for so a many reasons. Yeah, for so like I I I loved my time in Colorado Springs. My wife was born there and raised there, and this is the only place that she's ever lived other than Colorado Springs. I I have strong affinity for uh for that city i have strong affinity for the baseball fans there who i'm sorry that they lost triple a baseball but from a like real perspective and, and just like applying everything that they were dealing with yeah not being triple a makes uh makes a lot of sense and that's a good lead into this uh we don't know who the brewers triple a team is going to be next year we'll probably learn this upcoming week uh, there are some rumors out there about maybe ending up back in Nashville. There's rumors about maybe ending up in Wichita. Uh, last time they were going through this, right before they went into San Antonio, I thought I had a pretty good handle on the situation. I have no clue. I have no in- insider information. I am as disconnected to this as anybody out there. But from what I'm seeing on social media, and anybody else can see this same stuff, it certainly seems like Wichita and Nashville are the leading candidates at this point. Yes, and we've seen that San Antonio is likely heading to Double A, and I think the owners even threatened to go to Indie Ball. That would make sense so, in that market. That would that would be a good Indie market. So we're we're seeing that the, the San Antonio is almost completely out of play, which I I think the Brewers always intended anyway. So Nashville and Wichita bring some closer. And, but yeah, it's been, I think because of the negotiations happening between major league baseball, minor league baseball, I don't even think teams can make up their mind like they used to before. I think everyone, from my understanding is waiting on that, those negotiations to get a little bit more set. And we're seeing some details kind of start to get fleshed out, like the high A, low A switch. We know, I think I saw somewhere that even some of the Carolina teams might stay high A and others will go low A. I think the Brewers can make a strong petition for theirs to be low A. But we're at least finally starting to see some of those things that were mysteries and rumors that had some weight to them for this organization can finally take shape. I think the top levels is a pretty hard part to negotiate, and we're still waiting to see exactly what those look like. I think part of what MLB is going for is to get teams affiliates closer to their stadiums so and have some level of control of the affiliates that they have in order to benefit the team a little bit more, both in logistics and potential revenue produ- production. And so we're really still waiting to see all of that. And 
that's why almost no one has information on it. And we're just looking logistically, Wichita and Nashville out of the open opportunities make the most sense. They do. Wichita is a little bit closer, I guess, to you. Maybe they're about the same. I don't know. I'd have to look at a map, but it, maybe Wichita is a little closer. The difference being, though, you know, a lot of times how close your AAA affiliate is is not actually based off how many miles it is away. It's based off how easy it is to get a flight out. And Nashville is such a destination city. It, it was. I remember when the Mets went into Las Vegas, people were like, why are you going somewhere across the country? Well, in some ways, it was actually easier to get a player out of Las Vegas than it was someplace that's geographically closer to New York because there are 9 million flights leaving out of Las Vegas on a, on a minute-by-minute basis. So from that perspective, Nashville is probably a little bit better than Wichita. As much as I love the city of Wichita, Kansas, uh, it's a little bit easier to get in and out of Nashville. So that to me, that actually feels a little bit closer just because of the, uh, the flying situation. Yeah, I'm sure the Brewers don't want one of their AAA coaches driving eight hours to make sure that their player can make his MLB debut anymore, right? Yeah, th- that happened when, um, what, they were in St. Louis and the Brewers affiliate was playing in Memphis, right? Yes. Also the Cardinals affiliate, because the Cardinals have been in Memphis forever. Um, uh, yeah, that's the, I think that's how that went down. Well, there's also a ton of open uh, Yankee affiliates now, right? Did I thought they figured everything out. Did they? Uh, the last I saw were the Yankees were breaking up with everybody over social media. Yeah, I think when they broke up with people, those were uh, they coincided with uh, announcements of uh, – I think people were finding out they were broken up with by finding out who their new – like their – their double-A team or their high-A team, they found out they were being broken up with because the Yankees said, oh, by the way, this is our new single-A team, that sort of thing. Yeah, it, that was just another interesting part of this mess. Well, that's Especially what Major League Baseball... everyone else seems to be on hold, and the Yankees were figuring everything out. And it's just like, of course, the Yankees are like the ones who can move forward with everything while everyone else is waiting for these negotiations to settle. Well, that's when Major League Baseball stepped in and said no more announcements. Because the mm-hmm. Yankees were just, you know, they, they had everything. And I feel like the Mets did it, too. So I'm about the New York teams. They, they had their announcements ready to go. And, uh, yeah, the rest of baseball certainly did not. Yep. Before I get you out of here, and this was kind of the news from last week, and we talked about this a lot on last week's podcast, but the, the, the organizational structure change where David Stearns is president of baseball operations, Matt Arnold got the promotion to general manager. We've been t- like people wanted to make a huge deal. I did I did Brewers Weekly on WTMJ the night that this happened, and I was getting phone calls and text messages from like people thinking that this was this huge news. And it sounds like it's huge news because yeah, the Brewers have a new general manager, but in in reality. Nothing changes. The The operation, how it goes, is staying the same. Uh, hopefully, Matt Arnold got uh, a little bit of a pay increase, and uh, now their structure kind of fits the way a lot of baseball teams are going. But more importantly, now if another team w- it has a general manager opening, it's not as easy to go pluck away Matt Arnold because he is, in definition by title, the general manager of the Brewers. Right. I think we're looking at nothing changing on the back end. Maybe Matt Arnold does take on a few more responsibilities, but David Stearns has always publicly said it's kind of been a co-GM situation anyway, where Matt Arnold is responsible for his area and David Stearns is responsible for his area and they put their heads together and make decisions kind of together with David Stearns if it is ever needed having the final call. 
So it really seems like they're just bringing him up the ladder to protect him more than anything. He's been mentioned in dozens of openings over the last few seasons, ever since 2018, and the Brewers had success. That's what good organizations do. They look at successful teams and start picking away from them. The Brewers did it to get David Stearns. The Houston was having great success, especially at a rebuild. You're looking at a similar situation, and someone who helped facilitate that, you bring them in. Other teams are doing the same with Matt Arnold and in hopes of getting that same level of success. The Brewers obviously value him and do not want to lose him to another organization, have been lucky enough not to lose him to another organization so far. And in order to protect him, you bump him up to GM. So now if teams have to get permission, we saw the Mets try to interview David Stearns for their uh, opening, but because he's president of baseball operations, you need to offer some form of upgrade over that position. They couldn't. So the Brewers could deny their request to interview David Stearns. And, you know, I don't think David Stearns was going anywhere anyway, but Mets are his hometown team. There's a little bit of risk, but by already having that in place, they protected David Stearns by making him president of baseball operations and GM. Now you take out the GM, bump up Matt Arnold, protect him. You can keep a front office that you trust in, in place for much longer and hopefully continue to have success because of that. I do wonder if baseball at some point is going to, because if you're a general manager at an organization that does not have a president of baseball operations, you're the final decision maker. If you're a GM that does, then you're the you're kind of second in command. I do wonder if at some point baseball will differentiate or designate like final decision maker status. So say if a team out there that does not have a president of baseball operations and isn't planning on adding somebody with that title, if they are hiring a new general manager, if all of a sudden a Matt Arnold could interview for that job because it's a final decision maker job as opposed to his current role as a GM where he's not the final decision maker, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if that will ever be an opportunity because I think owners like having the opportunity to protect their staff Yeah, and baseball has to go through owners to get that changed. So while I think it works in context, unless there's an owners or a GM union that I don't know about, I don't think there's ever really going to be that opportunity to make that change in the institution. And the easy answer is then if if a team really, really, really wants to bring in this guy to be their what they're referring to as a general manager, well, then you just create the title president of baseball operations and you've got that fixed. Right. Or, I mean, front office trades are still a thing, right? <laughs> are they? I don't know. And Hey, if, uh, if the Mets want to hire David Stearns, they can create a title super president of baseball operations and then they can uh, interview him, right? Yeah. I think, the, I think this has happened before where the answer to if you really, really want someone, you offer stakes in ownership. And then it's part owner yeah. and president of baseball operations. Does, does Billy Bean have that in Oakland? I think so. Yeah. But I think it was more of a sign of respect, less to keep him around. Right. Like, but I believe, I think... You give somebody half a percent of a something that's worth a billion dollars, like, that's that's something. Yeah. yeah. I'd like half a percent of something that's worth a billion dollars. I would, too. That would... That would increase my total net worth by uh, by many, many times over. <laughs> hey, Mark A., you listening? Hit your boy up. Just want to have – give me a half a percent. It's like uh, – Isn't that $5 million? I mean – Oh, don't on. make me do math. I have no clue. Um, 
I, I almost feel like it's the episode of uh, of Seinfeld where Elaine needs somebody to spare a square. <laughs> Are you a Seinfeld guy? Yeah, I, I haven't seen all of them. I did try to do my series watch through, but man, aside from like the ones that were re-aired all the time on TBS or the seasons that were re-aired all the time on TBS, which is where I finally got to watch them, uh, there are some real stinkers in those first th- three seasons. So <laughs> it, it became a hard bit of a watch through. But yeah, I've I've seen I probably 80% of the series uh, multiple times over. See, you and I disagree because I... I don't like the uh, I don't like the pilot a lot, and that was even pre Elaine. Elaine wasn't even the pilot, but I thought no. there were some really really good episodes in the first few years. Uh, the the Chinese restaurant episode, I think that's a, I think that's a season one episode, and that was one where Larry David almost quit the series over that because NBC thought it was a horrendous idea, and they actually filmed it, but then NBC forced them to delay it. It was actually supposed to air earlier than it did, but they just kind of wanted to throw it in at the end of the year, and it became an iconic episode. So I'm a, I don't think there are that many atrocious episodes. I think the series holds up from start to finish for me. It, well, what I'm saying is the ones that weren't like the episodes that weren't aired repeatedly from those seasons are stinkers versus like they still have their gems, but those gems were the ones you could see all the time in syndication. Yeah, I don't know. I like them all. I, I've, I'll watch the series <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. from start I, I to finish. Step on your, I shouldn't. Clearly, I've, I've touched a nerve. But it's OK. I get it. This is like people coming off after The Office, which was like the first sitcom I was obsessed with. I like it a little less than I used to now, but. It, probably because I've watched it way too many times. I um, so yeah, I get it. I don't splurge on much. Uh, I'm a I'm a hard person to buy gifts for. Like I feel bad for my wife and family members. Like I I want for very little. I'm I'm very content in the world that I live in. So I I, I have very few splurges, and I'm very comfortable with with what I have, and I'm I'm good. Uh, like 90% of the clothes I own, I either buy at Costco or Sam's. Like I'm just, I'm good, man. I, I don't, I don't need to go spend lots of money on stuff. Uh, the, not that this is lots of money, but the one thing I kind of splurge on that I really have no, I have no use for, for this yet. I continue to purchase it. Uh, there is a company out there called culture fly and they do subscription boxes and every three months, it's four times a year, every three months, I get a subscription box with stuff from The Office, and I get a subscription box with stuff from Seinfeld. It's stuff that I don't even use, but I can't tell you how much I enjoy opening up those boxes and seeing all the stuff that's in it. Stuff I'm never going to use, but I love having it. Well, I'll get a GoFundMe together, and we'll buy you a pair of Jerry shoes. Okay. Sure. His his white dad shoes. Oh, I'm actually I'm looking at some of my Seinfeld stuff right now. I have a um, I have a few silly Jerry like from the episode where uh, Kramer starts making things with pasta. Uh, oh, so yeah. it's almost like a bobblehead. I have a uh, I have the the Seinfeld or the uh, the Kramer portrait. So yeah, I also have a portrait of the uh, the office, like the one that basically like mimicking the one that Pam painted. So. Yeah, I have stuff the water like painting. Yeah, I don't know how we got there, but that's how we got there, and that's how we're going to finish uh, this. What What do you have going on over at? Uh, give a plug for Brew Crew Ball. Give a plug for uh, Milwaukee Tailgate. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year at Brew Crew Ball, where Kyle has put up where you can actually per, like make your own off season plan, and the entire community is invited to partake in it. He has instructions on how to take part in it. 
So he has that post up from a couple days ago. Go check it out. I think that's a lot of fun where everyone can experiment with either a realistic. It, we want you to keep the budget realistic. You can't go ham on this and spend all out. But, you know, either you end up trading everyone to try to build your own super team or you, you know, sign the pieces you think are going to make the team better and make some tough decisions. I think that's a lot of fun and everyone should go do it. Otherwise, we have our normal offseason series, you know, previewing potential free agents, looking at potential uh, non-tender options, which we'll get in a few days, I think, mm-hmm. um, a week or so, I think, which are, you know, that could actually create a pretty interesting free agent pool in the near future. Uh, and then uh, MKE tailgate, we took off this week because, you know, of the holiday, but we'll be back. We always have great stuff. And our, actually, we've been continuing our uh, our minor league podcast that we do that is only open to Patreon. And we have some fantastic guests recently. We talked about what happened at the fall league, Will Salmon. We looked at um, the MLB process or pipeline system and their view of the brewers directly talking with them. So a lot of good interviews recently with some more coming up. I'm hoping to get a prospect on in the near future and talk with him about what he did at the uh, little inter or instructional league. So that should be a lot of fun. And yeah, that's it. Let me finish you with this. And you can't say something that is impossible. This has to be a, a legit answer. One player that you hope the Brewers sign? Mike Trout. Whoa, darn it. I didn't listen to the rules. Brad, you're so bad at this. Oh, that's really difficult. Um, Especially because Robbie Ray was like my go-to because they'd been interested in him for so long. Yeah. But now he's gone. So now what do I do? I'm glad I didn't Um, ask you this question. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it would have been completely new. I know I kind of would like to see uh, he was the dream for last offseason, D.D. Gregorius. Okay. He, he's he's a higher level free agent, but, you know, you can play him at shortstop, get more offensive output over there, move Urias over to third base or play him at third base, actually. And hopefully you have the D.H. back and then you can have Gregorius, Arcia, Urias, and uh, then here is that DH tr- coming into play second every now and then. I think that looks like a pretty good infield. And then you have Daniel Vogelbach at oh. first with a platoon option, oh. probably Ryan Braun. Okay, so I I love the idea of Vogelbach at first. And I I thought when he played there in a very limited amount of time that he, he looked fine. He was fleet of foot. I had zero problem. But it is so clear to me that the organization views him as a defensive liability at first base. I don't, but it seems to me like they just haven't cared in years past about having a defensive liability at first base in the Craig Council era. Then why didn't he play more first base? They just would not put him at first base once they acquired him. But I feel like that's because they had such a hole at DH. It was easier. I think they I don't were. know. I still can't believe Jed Jerko is not on the team. I would, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that is a by, in a non COVID year, he's still around. Yep. Um, yeah. So I actually think there's a decent chance he's back. I think they just were like, hey, everyone's going to be call, calling poor. We can get him on another cheapo deal. It is going to be fascinating to watch some of the names who are non tenders this year. Yeah. It's going to expand the free agent market more than I think anyone's expecting. I think. I, I did a national show a few weeks ago, and I had Jesse Rogers from ESPN on, and I made this point to him. I thought, 
in the past, there's almost like a, a scarlet letter when you're non-tendered. Like, if you were non-tendered, it was tough to go get a major league contract. Generally, you got a minor league deal with an invite to major league spring training. I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I, I Because there's going to be so many guys, I think there's going to be a ton of, like, legit major leaguers who are non-tendered this year. For example, I think Corey Knable is non-tendered. So in that in that scenario is and I don't have the list in front of me right now in that scenario is there anybody other than Brandon Woodruff that gets tendered by the team? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely tenders still, because um, you still have Manny Pena, you have Omar Narvaez, you have. I See, think I think one Narvaez is non-tendered. Tendered. I think Narvaez is non-tendered. I don't know. They put up a lot of investment into him. Yeah. I think it depends if they I, they might try to sign him to like a Ben Gamble contract where it keeps him under the arbitration number that he's supposed to go at, but right. controls his price. Yeah, if that that I think could happen very easily. So th- if he's not signed to a deal though before the moment, like I just I think there's a chance they move on from him. Yeah, there's a chance. I think they still want the platoon back there. So I see Manny Pena, especially with his age, being the more likely guy gone. But he was also the only one who gave you real plus value back there. And his offensive profile is more of an average catcher profile with some of the best defense. Yeah, he fits but the actually, roster if you look so at well. Baseball prospectus is uh, rankings of catcher defense. Narvaez was number one. He was... As worried as we were about what his defense was going to look like, he was a very solid. I, I don't know. If, I don't want about that number. I would probably take issue with that number. Um, but I thought he, I thought he did a nice job defensively, and I actually think that played into his offensive struggles because I think he focused so much on defense that it actually impacted his offense. Yeah, uh, the Brewers fixer catcher defense, rumors of offense. Yes. They did it with Jacob Nottingham too. There you go. All right, Brad, good stuff. We'll do it again here in a month or so. Can't wait. Brad Ford joining us on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. That's just about going to do it for this week's edition. Hopefully uh, next week we'll have, uh, I think we're going to get a little bit of news this upcoming uh, week and that sort of thing. So we'll have a little bit more to talk about coming up uh, next week. Also, uh, a reminder for you, Brewers Weekly airs on Thursday nights from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on WTMJ. And uh, we'll be back after taking Thanksgiving off. We will be back coming up uh, this upcoming Thursday. Hope you all had a a wonderful Thanksgiving, wrapping up the uh, Thanksgiving weekend with uh, some podcast action here. And we'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.